0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back for a special episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Uh, For this one, um, I'm going to be bringing in uh, bracketologist Rocco Miller to discuss uh, what we're going to be looking at come Selection Sunday, Um, and then also kind of going over some of the outlooks for all of these teams. Uh, what chances BYU still has, and then also just taking kind of a quick peek at what the WCC tournament um, was able to bring us. Okay, so without further ado, um, here is the interview with uh, Rocco Miller. All right, I am joined by Rocco Miller, who is the College Hoops Bracketologist for the bracketeer.org. Rocco, how's it going?
1: It's going well, Zach. Uh, Thanks for having me on Uh, down here in Vegas in between games. And uh, it's been a it's been a marathon, you know, WCC wrapped up on Tuesday. And here we are Friday morning um, with still semifinals and finals to come at four different tournaments here in town. So um, not to mention all the things going on nationally, but um, wouldn't have it any other way. This is the best one of the best weeks of the year, if not the best week of the year. So um, I'm excited.
0: I could, I could not agree more. This is definitely my favorite time of the year. The, this like two, three week period, this is good. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so you were down there for, and got to witness the WCC tournament in person. Uh, you got to see a lot of, you got to see a lot of WCC teams throughout the course of the year in person as well. Uh, so get, talk to me, just like the, how you thought your impressions of the tournament in general. Uh, to me, it seemed like this was the, the best, most highly competitive uh, WCC tournament we've had maybe ever.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you look top to bottom in terms of the strength and the quality and the depth of the league, um, pretty hard to argue that, you know, Mark few actually mentioned that himself in one of the post game press conferences at the end of the tournament. And um, you know, you think about the league as a whole, just since February 1st, how much Portland uh, the pilots improved. Uh, I mean, that's one. I think one of the big stories I think that I'm taking away um you know how can they build on that for next year what can they do in the portal I think Shantae Lugans has proved to be a really great coach um Portland's just been so down for so long it was really hard for people to envision it um in fact he got a lot of slack when he took the job on why would you take that job et cetera, et cetera. so um for him to do that in year one I thought was incredible uh I ran a report on analytics since february 1st portland was performing as the 102nd best team in the country um you know so much better than their i think 185 ken palm uh, other teams of course you know we have the the four tournament contenders really three will get in as as we know now um uh, with with uh, san francisco being the third team with gonzaga st mary's being the powerhouses and then um byus hung around they pretty much need to hit a, a straight flush right now to get in and get a bunch of teams to lose. But I think, I, I just think that the odds are they're not getting in in um, Santa Clara, of course, as a, as a solid, you know, technically they finished as the number three seed. They kind of got that by not playing the second Portland game. Uh, but that was a team that was just so much fun and a really lethal offense. If Gonzaga wasn't in the league, they certainly would have led the WCC in offensive efficiency uh, by a large margin. And um, I think you know, the world of Jalen Williams, that, that kid improves so much. And um, I you know, he's gonna be playing in the NBA. I'm I'm pretty positive. So so those are like my early impressions. I think those six teams were just all pretty awesome stories. I guess BYU would be considered a disappointment, but uh, the fact that they continue to fight towards the end, you have to give Coach Pope some credit for that. For sure.
0: Let's Let's talk about actually Santa Clara a little bit on that front because they were they ended up being sixty. Well, right now they're sixty nine in the net. Obviously, they're not. There's nothing they can do to really change that at this point. But this is a team that was missing one of its key players, a couple of key players, right right there in December for about a month with um, Joseph Brankic missing time, and then also um, Jaden Bediaco missing time. They they kind of got stung right at the wrong time for, for their, at least to me, it seemed like scheduling wise, but if they had, if in the perfect scenario, they had both of those guys for those games is Santa Clara also kind of, are we talking about Santa Clara also getting into the tournament?
1: I think it's very possible. You know, I think it's hard to, it's hard to say when you, you know, when your team loses games that if you would have had so-and-so you would have won them, but you, you know, they hit that wall where, they lost to UC Irvine, they lost Louisiana Tech, they dropped a couple other games, and you just have to wonder. And they, and they were competitive, they, they almost won without him, but um, it, it, just, it changes everything when you lose a, such an important piece like Bronkic, you know, because he's such an elite passer and he can play on the outside and the inside. So when you, you lose a guy like that, you have to readjust everybody's role. Um, and so some guys weren't able to play to their strengths like they can when Bronkic is available. Um, You know, when they went on tears, uh, I think they showed the country uh, just how dangerous they are. Of course, you know, uh, destroying what turned out to be a really good TCU team back in uh, November at the SoCal Challenge. And then uh, just, you know, towards the end of the year when they played just a fantastic game to beat St. Mary's on national television um, and then gave St. Mary's a big sweat there at the end of the game in the semifinals of the tournament. I, I just think, you know, uh, I saw them play against San Francisco both times as well. Um, second time, they didn't play as well as a good, good de- defensive game plan by the Dons. But the first time was just a show 88, 85 regulation, uh, all, all sorts of buckets going in from, from three, from two. Like it was, it was uh, one of the best games, probably the best game I saw all year, just in terms of flow and rhythm and uh, high level talent. And so, you know, you watch a couple of those games with Santa Clara and you think to yourself, that's a tournament team but uh, unfortunately you know that um, the injuries and the and his mono and the sickness are, are part of the sport and um, you know from everybody I'm talking to they're safe to get into the NIT and uh, you can't ever say for sure they would have gotten in but you would you'd right. have to like their chances I guess
0: yeah and obviously like an NIT bid is a huge step for that program because uh, I just think about just the job that um, Her, Herb Sendek has done with that program over the last few years. Um, I, I think, as I've talked to a number of other WCC people, like Santa Clara has kind of been the one team that's like they're a bit of a sleeping giant because of just uh, the resources that uh, the program has and whatnot. Um, and then kind of getting back into it and being a consistent contender is going to be nothing but good for the league.
1: Yeah, you would like to see that. I mean, you know, I think with some of these stories, not only them but San Francisco as well, mm-hmm. uh, probably a couple others across the league. It's it's become a really big transfer portal sport. <laughs> and but but you know, you're to your point. Like who who that was paying attention this year? If you're a player and you're you know recruited by a bunch of schools and you can add value, wouldn't want to go to Santa Clara. I'm or or even San Francisco. I mean, there's a great draw to some some of these WCC schools. You know, we'll see who San Diego hires. Uh, That's that's a place Mm -hmm. I actually used to live for four years, and I'd be like one of the only people at Torero Games. Um, So that's another reason why I'm so into this league. Um, So if they they get the right guy, they could actually get pretty good. You know, for a while there, they were top three in the league. And so, um, yeah, I have a lot of curiosity about how they handle that hire. We saw how fast Portland could get turned around. Um, and I just think that across the league, you have a lot of money, not only through the private school part of it, but I think there's been a, a rededication to athletics, uh, especially with all the ESPN package money that's coming in, all that Gonzaga attention trickles down to the other nine schools. Um, so even with BYU leaving, you know, I think the future of the league is still in pretty good hands. All right. So we'll, we'll
0: uh, switch gears and, uh, talk about selection Sunday. And I guess we'll first talk about and kind of probably get it out of the way of what are BYU's chances still at this point? Um, I, a lot of different, um, uh, have them either slipping and slipping further away from the tournament. You have them as, uh, as one of the first four out. What, what does, as you said, like they kind of have to hit a, a straight flush for them to have a shot, uh, what percent, or what? What do you think are the chances that BYU can still slip in?
1: Uh, I'd probably say it's five percent or less, just mainly because, uh, you know, they're they're in a situation where they 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 finished in the you know basically in all the resume based metrics they're in the fifties. Um, the win against Oregon at the start of the year, unfortunately, didn't amount to much at the end. Oregon really fell apart and just uh, ended their season yesterday. Um, they do have the road win at San Francisco, which is uh, a road win against a team that's going to the tournament, which which matters quite a bit. The home wins against San Diego State and St. Mary's are strong. Uh, but you look across the board, you know, if you're not in a power six conference and you're, you're under 500 in the top two quads and you have as many games as BYU played. I think that's a little bit of an outlier just traditionally. Um, so they went seven and eight in those 15. Um, and then they also threw a, a quad four loss on top of that, which I think is the ultimate killer, the loss to Pacific. I mean, um, and, and, you know, th- that's also uh, part of the second reason why they probably wouldn't get selected, because they were a different team down the stretch than they were earlier in the year. Uh, you know, with mm-hmm. the Baxter, Baxter injury and, and other issues across the personnel. Um, the committee will talk about that extensively for teams that are on the bubble. Uh, not, not so much sometimes if they're in the middle of the pack, like, you know, six through ten seeds. But when you're talking about teams in the bubble, uh, the committee's responsibility is to, you know, every, every member is assigned a league or a couple of leagues. And th- if they talk about BYU thoroughly, you know, they're, they're going to look at that late loss to Pacific as kind of like a clincher. Um, so, no, you know, th- you could argue they have a better resume than teams like Notre Dame or even uh, Xavier right now, uh, teams that I have just above them. I think some of that, when you get into the weeds, kind of knocks uh, BYU off. Um, but I'll tell you this: the NIT will love to have them. Have them; they'll 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 sell a lot of tickets uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as an NIT <laughs> host, and um, and BYU will probably be excited to play in that. So maybe they'll they'll make a run in that tournament.
0: Yeah, I I mean they have a lot of they have a lot of key pieces I think mean, that are going to be returning. Obviously, they lose Alex Barcelo uh, right. this off season, but. I mean, they have some exciting young pieces. And we saw uh, Foose Traori and just how, how much of a monster he w- was this year when he wasn't supposed to be that guy yet. And uh, they, he's going he's to be a guy for them for the next few years. And uh, so I, if they figure out the guard position, I think then BYU will obviously will be back in the mix next year, assuming that they can stay healthy again.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would imagine so. And and the WCC will get them for at least one more year just based on how the football stuff shakes out. So, um, you know, it's good for the league to have them in. It's it's a great brand and um, you know, maybe the league can figure out another member by the time next year's over.
0: We'll see. And obviously that's a that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> uh absolutely. Uh, Uh, So let's talk about the three that are going to be in uh, Gonzaga, St. Mary's and USF. Uh, And we'll start with Gonzaga and kind of talk about just what I think, I think we know that the ceiling for them is national championship. Uh, What do you, what do you see as a potential, as the potential hurdles for them as they kind of go through the tournament and what sort of teams are going to give them trouble?
1: Yeah. Great timing on this question. Cause I've just watched them four times in person the last two weeks. They were in the Bay area, um, the end of the season. And then I saw them twice here. Uh, so what I noticed with St. Mary's, so I saw them play St. Mary's twice and I saw them play San Francisco twice. Right. Um, what I noticed with St. Mary's is that, of course they're a much more physical, uh, older team. Now San Francisco does have Masolski, and uh, some nice pieces on the front line like Josh Coonan and, and Top A. But St. Mary's bigs are just much more um, defensive focused, uh, let's just say. And uh, we all know that Gonzaga just loves to run once the uh, opposing team shoots, whether it goes in or not, they're going to get the rebound and run. They're trying to beat you down the floor, get, create a lot of easy baskets throughout a game. You know, you might get Gonzaga plays an average team in the WCC. You might get 15 of those layups uh, per game. And that's where, you know, Drew Timmy's lethal and and even Holmgren and all those guys. So what I noticed with St. Mary's is that they would actually, uh, when they go for blockouts, they just pound uh, Chet Holmgren uh, the last two times they played him. And um, you could see by the end of the game, he was just wearing out. Uh, Obviously, he's a very uh, thin, thin man, unicorn, unbelievable player. uh, But he had two really bad games in those two games uh, statistically. Now I think he did some other things to adjust, get his other teammates involved. He didn't take a lot of shots, uh, but I thought that was a really good strategy because it basically um, neutralized him, and then it put more pressure on Timmy, and it really put pressure on the guards. So in the game that St. Mary's won, uh, you know Nemhard took eighteen shots, he only made like five of them, he only hit one three, and um, St. Mary's, you know, played a perfect game offensively, did not turn the ball over, and uh, get a bunch of uh, baskets at the at the rim um and and really kind of cruised throughout which was which was crazy to see because you hadn't really seen that uh in a WCC game against Gonzaga in a very long time Mm -hmm. Um, but it really kind of I think just from talking to some people behind the scenes that they got that blueprint from when Texas Tech played Gonzaga earlier this year and um you know Texas Tech didn't win that game but they they kind of showed you know how to help on the on the doubles to Uh, When Timmy gets the ball in the post or Holmgren gets the ball in the post and they were doing a ton of that and creating steals, creating havoc, you know, doing the physical part, the body blows. So, you know, if Gonzaga is going to play a team by the time they get to the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 that has mature bigs uh, and, and, you know, I think you need to have a really smart team, um, doesn't give away possessions and and bangs them up like that on as a from a physical presence. You can think of a few teams nationally like Kentucky and others that could do that to them. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know how many teams there are total in the country that could beat them, maybe, maybe 10, maybe 15. So um, you still need to play a pretty darn good game to pull out a 40-minute win. Like talking to Randy Bennett after the game, you have to approach the game in four-minute segments and you have to win all those little mini segments to get to the end against Gonzaga. If they start to get a run on you, it could be over. So um, it's it's really, really difficult to beat them, but there, there is a recipe.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, again, to your point, we saw a lot of what, what St. Mary's was able to do and taking the Texas Tech formula and obviously Texas Tech is also one of the best defensive teams in the country. Yes. Um, and, but then we also saw at least a little bit of like that the way Duke and Alabama played against Gonzaga was very different and they kind of, those were hot, both high scoring games. And so at the very least there's another way to do it, but it seems like that again, you have to outscore Gonzaga and doing that on a consistent basis is, uh, is a tall task.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you this, I got to see Duke live this year at the start of the year. That's the, and I've seen Arizona, I've seen uh, Stanford, some of the larger teams in the country um duke is huge (laughs) like those those young guys are massive like like they're built like they might not be the tallest team but they are thick um so anyway i i think that that really surprised gonzaga that first time around uh and and again there's not many teams like that right (laughs) there's only so many players in college basketball that can um be big enough to handle these guys and and also smart enough and you have to have good guards and all that goes into that so Mm -hmm. So it's gonna be fascinating I, I do think they're not as dominant as last year i think I think the results say that too, so it's not like a mm-hmm. hot hot take or anything but um <clears throat> yeah i i I do think same the St. mary's game did did expose quite a bit um and and you know they hung with them for a lot of the championship game with twelve minutes to go. they're only down by three if uh Rashear Bolton doesn't hit that step back three who knows maybe they fight back in and and tie it up so um so, so yeah they're the really good teams I think will hang with them. So it'll be really interesting.
0: Is there something about this comparing them to last year's team? Obviously last year's team had, it was incredible. They were undefeated until the title game, but like, is there anything that you see that this team, how would you compare the two teams and what are, is there, are there aspects of this Gonzaga team that look maybe different that might give them a more of an edge to Make that final leap and get that championship.
1: Well, I think the biggest difference is, uh, you know, Suggs is just kind of a generational player at a point guard. Point guard's most important position in this sport, right? So if you have a guy like Suggs that can just change the pace, change the tempo, uh, just total game changer. And, and and factor in a guy like Corey Kispert who's just so uh, he's like a coach on the court. You know, he's telling everybody where to go, both offense and defense. He moves well. He shoots the uh, I mean, it shoots the heck out of the ball and you know, shooters are also a very important part of the sport as, as you know. So um, you, you factor in, they had a, a veteran like Joel I- IIE on that team. Um, and so they were, I, I think, I think just more mature, more ready Uh for, you know, kind of being the catalyst as a, as a captain of all that. Um, and And I, I think that made them very, very dangerous. I think this year you know, Strother's done a great job of filling in and getting a lot more minutes, kind of filling in the Kispert role, honestly. Uh, Bolton's been a great transfer find for them. So they do still have some age, but, um, you know, Nem- Nemhard's had his moments, but he's also, you know, typically a great numbers guy, especially against inferior competition. Um, I just don't think they're as talented because of, uh, you know, the drop off from Suggs to Nemhard. I, th- I do think there's a drop off there. And I-, I think there's a, too, it's too much to ask to fill all the shoes that Kispert brought after being there for so long. So mm-hmm. um, that, that's that's what made them so solid and unflappable um, last season. So so that, those are the biggest differences. But we're still talking about two very dominant teams,
0: right? And and just like just taking a quick glance at the landscape this year in college basketball, I don't see the Gonzaga of last year. I don't also don't see the Baylor of last year either. Yeah. So the the level the, the top team is not at either of those teams levels. So at the very least, like you don't need to be at the Gonzaga of last year's level, but you still need to be obviously very good.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And this year is just an old man sport. You know, a lot of schools have players that took advantage of the COVID year. Uh, I, you know, I do an exercise every off season to try to evaluate rosters and, you know, see if I forecast them as a tournament team or not. Most years I come up with like 35 to 40 teams. Um, and typically when you're doing a seed list for bracket projections, you know it goes all the way down to about 48 before you get into the 21 bid leagues. Um, so I'm usually scrambling to figure out who my last eight teams are. Well, this year when I did it, there was 60 to 65 teams that kind <laughs> of wow. came out with all the experience and all the things you look for. So yeah, so I was I was like, this is going to be an extremely competitive year. Um, um, so I'm not too surprised it came out this way. And again, with so many different teams that are old and mature, they really just came back to make a run. You know, we, we may not have more than 10 or 15 possible national champions, but that's still a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but we could, we could have a really wide range of teams that could get to the final four, you know, maybe, maybe 30 or more. So, um, I think that's just really exciting. I think everybody's going to love watching the tournament. Um, and I think the sport being older is good for the sport, uh, quite honestly, you know, everybody's got their uh, different d- defensive strategies and principles and, you know, players should be better shooters and, and, and decision makers. So I think that's a better quality product to watch. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the season.
0: All right. So let's all right. We'll switch off of Gonzaga and talk about USF. And so for the Dons, what's what's their ceiling going into this? Obviously, it's going to be their first tournament appearance since 98. Uh, all, all none of these players were alive the last time that this team was in the NCAA tournament. So, for them, what's what's the ceiling for for this group?
1: Yeah, I mean, the way it shakes out right now. So, NCAA tournament in general, it's always about matchups, right? Um, if mm-hmm. the Dons were to slip to a ten seed somehow, uh, that I think gives them an angle to get into the Sweet Sixteen uh, because there's some two seeds. Uh, you know, that they could probably hang with and beat. You know, they could, they could beat Duke if they played well. They could beat Villanova. I, I think they could beat Villanova if they played well. It's kind of hard to foresee that matchup because they're going to be likely in the East. But, um, but by and large, the, you know, their prospects come down to Masalski. Um, you know, he had to sit out the Gonzaga game in the semis because he uh, had his knee flare up on him uh, in the BYU game. So they took him back to campus and ran tests this weekend. I, I haven't heard where the status is. They probably don't don't want to tell me or or us <laughs> until <laughs> until they're actually like five minutes till tip off. But uh, as, as long as he's healthy, I definitely like their chances in most of their first round matchups. You know, I know I, I've actually talked to Coach Golden. We talked about a few different teams. Um, you, you know, they want to play kind of like a sixth or seventh place big conference team, like a Michigan State or a Marquette or a... Uh, you know, some of those teams are kind of just fluttering down the stretch, and Iowa State, like those, would be mm-hmm. awesome matchups for them. I'd feel really good about them getting a win, um, but they could end up playing like a red-hot North Carolina team. They could play Memphis. They could play. You know, there's there's too so many different teams they could play. So I do think, um, in general, though, to to, to your question, uh, they're they're a dangerous team. They've been top 25, you know, for a lot of the year in, in metrics like Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and others um since february 1st they're performing as the 17th best team in the country now again you have to see how that extrapolates out when you go play a big team but um you know it'd it'd be really great to see them get at least a win in the tournament and then i do think the ceiling is the sweet 16
0: i mean that would be an incredible if they got to the sweet 16 obviously like that'd be huge for the program and the conference and I, yeah, I kind of agree. I if the right matchup is there, they could be a sweet seat, a Sweet Sixteen team, a second weekend team. And I'm with you. The Masalski is kind of the key to that, and we've seen it uh, time and time this year. Uh, they're a different team without it. Uh, he's oh, yeah. made such Absolutely. a difference on the def- on the defensive end, uh, clearing the boards, uh, being that rim protector. Uh, I I mean, there were a couple different times I was just pulling the plus minuses when he's in there and when he's not. Um, And it's it's a a pretty stark difference of him in the game and him not.
1: Yeah, he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the conference too. He might be the best. So uh, he he brings a lot to the table on both sides of the ball. I think he had 18 double-doubles this year, if I remember right. So he's a a huge part of what they're trying to do. I also like, um, you know, an under-talked-about player is Julian Rishway, and he's gotten so much better as the year gone on. Um, so you if you look through his game by game, uh, his minutes keep going up, he's, um, playing really well defensively and he's making open shots when he gets his chances. So, um, he actually put up 20 in that feverish rally in the second half. half. Um, when, you know, they, they, they only lost by nine to Gonzaga. So it didn't look that bad right. um, <laughs> down, down big at halftime. But, um, so yeah, I like the way the guys are playing. It's really, yeah. The Misalski thing could really put a wrench in things if he can't go.
0: All right, and let's switch over to St. Mary's. Uh, this has obviously been the, the second dog in this conference for the better part of 20 years, right behind Gonzaga. This is a team who's only gotten to the Sweet 16 once under Randy Bennett. What's, what's the ceiling for this team?
1: That's a great question. So, you know, the way it's sitting right now, things are shaping up re- really well for them to be a five seed. They for me they just overtook uh, LSU earlier this week. So LSU is playing Arkansas today. So if LSU loses that, they'll stay above LSU. But uh, even if they're a six seed, it's kind of the similar odds to make the Sweet Sixteen, right? Because being in a five twelve no fun they'll have to play somebody really dangerous and and then uh, a 413 in the next round is also not fun uh and if you're a six you know you'll have a strong three probably to deal with in the second round um not to mention whoever the the 11 is so odds Mm -hmm. are probably the same either way uh the the thing about st mary's i kind of hinted at it earlier they're just so old uh they play the best defense in the league by far they're um technically gonzaga's got a better adjusted d but But just in terms of in your face and all the different uh, mixing and matching that Randy will do, uh, you know, this this team has a lot of different versatile guys as well. Not just um, the starting five. There's a lot of pieces they can bring in off the bench to throw matchup problems at teams. And I love teams like that in the NCAA tournament because you have to figure out a way to win two games in three days. And you might play two completely different style opponents. You probably will. And uh, and I think St. Mary's is as prepared as possible out of any team out there to handle that. Um, so mm-hmm. just, you know, and then Tommy's here, been there for six years and, you know, they're going to bring a lot of fight and that's going to be, a it's going to be a real tough team to beat for, for anybody, even if they're an upstart 12 seed.
0: Is one of the toughest things about that team, how, how their their ability to control pace and because yes. it doesn't seem it matters who they play whether it's gonzaga wisconsin uh, notre dame byu it really hasn't seemed to matter that when st mary's wants to play one way that's the way you're going to play
1: yep that's it that's exactly right they'll take the they can take the air out of the ball they can they can take a fast-paced team like gonzaga and make it a four possession four to five possession fewer game um you know the that they have so many dynamic, uh, players on the front line, you know, to match up defensively, Logan Johnson's a crazy good athlete. So I think, you know, when opponents are preparing for St. Mary's, they might not pay attention to him enough, uh, because he, mm-hmm. he can really get in there and mix things up. Cause, cause I think the other guy is kind of low, you to sleep. And then he comes in with a bunch of energy and electricity and he can really jump, um, So it's, 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 it's a really interesting team. Uh, And, and Randy, his coaching pedigree, he's a really tough coach to bet against. Uh, So, so there's so much to like.
0: And, and with that squad, obviously there's been so much talk about like Kuzi obviously is an incredible story. Logan's improvement um, has from one year to the next has been incredible. And I think that's just the one thing just to talk about. development of this team because I think there were um, a lot of people and myself included who looked at last year's success and wasn't sure how it was going to translate to this year and and this team has to an extent like made a well obviously they've made a huge jump this season
1: made a huge jump and I think last year they were frustrated they lost a lot of their big opportunities uh they had a you know COVID issues like a lot of teams did they weren't the only ones of course but um, you know, they lost a game at Pepperdine last year, for example. So they've just some things you wouldn't expect typically from St. Mary's, but, but I think that's a big reason why a lot of these guys came back, you know, they wanted to make up for last year. They were, they were really, uh, picked, picked high the, uh, the year before had high expectations and, and were very disappointed to only go to the NIT. Uh, so this year with, like you said, you know, some key pieces like Logan have developed. They also brought in, you know, my, probably my favorite long-term guy is Augustus Uh, uh You know, I grew up in Seattle and, and got to see his dad when I was growing up uh, play for the Sonics. So, um, you know, I, I heard at, at the St. Mary's, um, you know, they do their pregame. I don't know if they call it the red white game or the red blue game, but it's like their, you know, their kickoff to the mm-hmm. practice season. And He was like the MVP of that thing. Um, he had like 20, two points and seven assists, and it just fills the entire stat sheet. You can tell Randy's just holding him back right now because this team has got so much chemistry as it is, and he's still trying to you know, figure out his role. But long-term, this, this program's in gray hands uh, to build around him.
0: All right. So it looks like we have a potential national champion, possibly two. So it sounds like we potentially could have three WCC teams in that second weekend, which would be an inc- incredible feed. Cause I, and if one, and obviously we'll know if Gonzaga gets there, they'll be in San Francisco, yep. maybe either St. Mary's or um, USF will join them. They're pending on which regions they get placed into. Uh, but it'll be, it, it's going to be an exciting time obviously we have selection sunday just a couple days away uh so i think that'll that'll wrap us up uh thanks rocco for uh, taking some time and chatting uh have have fun with the rest of your weekend in vegas with all the other conference championships and um we'll try to catch up catch up down the road
1: i appreciate you having me on zach yes yeah, Se- selection sunday should be a ton of fun um and, uh, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, a couple of sleepless nights to go for me, but, but yeah, I, I'll also be at the uh, San Francisco regional covering that. So, um, you know, if you're around, let me know it, it it'll be great for the city. I, I think it's the first time the city's ever been able to host it, uh, at least in recent times. So, yeah. um, yeah, Gonzaga will be in line. Uh, the expectation is that St. Mary's and San Francisco will both be in different regions. Um, mainly because the most likely seed is San Francisco being a nine. And St. Mary's being a five, so they are going to be in the top right. half of a, of a bracket. So, uh, but anyway, thanks again for having me on, Zach. I, I'm just as excited as you, and uh, can't wait to see how this all plays out.
0: All right, and that will do it for uh, this special episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops Podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming services. Uh, you can also follow Rocco on Twitter at Rocco Miller eight. That's R-O-C-C-O-M-I-L-L-E-R-8 on Twitter. Um, I'm Zach Farmer. You can follow me as well on Twitter at PostsByZach. Selection Sunday is only a couple days away. I am excited. This is my favorite time of year. Uh, So with with that, we'll have another episode um, this week to kind of preview our specific matchups and whatnot for the tournament. And until then, um, have a good weekend and I will catch you next time.